Hey, good morning. Another beautiful day in Hudson Valley. Not so beautiful last night. That was, well, typical, right, lately? Some crazy rain. Steve, I appreciate everything you said. Um, the generous introduction, thank you so much. And I, too, uh, enjoyed that time. That was a great time. And, you know, we got to find something else coming up, something new to do. So I'm, I'm searching and seeking right now. We're, we're going to find something. Uh, that's great camp starting uh, to, today. Or, yep. And I was actually uh, talking to well, Marty and I. I've been hanging out with Marty. And you guys know that uh, Marty is a hiker. He's kind, of, he's kind of an above average hiker, I would say. I'm, I'm definitely below average. Uh, but I just like to get out there. And we're talking, and he's talking about the Appalachian Trail, which is 2,000 miles long and takes six months to walk. And I said, yeah, we're not doing that one. Um, Irby might run it, though. He might run that. He goes, but what about the Bear Mountain Suffering Trail? It starts in Suffering. Uh, Suffering Bear Mountain Trail starts in Suffering, goes all the way to Bear Mountain. So I look uh, on the Google map, and it's about 25 miles long with a 5,000-mile elevation. And we're supposed to camp overnight and all that. And I'm saying, mm -hmm. <laughs> and then I said, let's do it. So I think we're going to do it on Tuesday, right? So I told Kelly about it, and she just looked at me, and she goes, bears. <laughs> I'm going out in the woods. I'm going to be with God. I'm going to be with Marty. It's going to be good. <laughs> if you guys want to come Tuesday morning, Suffering Head tra uh, Trailhead right there, boom. We got it. But it makes me think about the joke between, of, of the atheist and the uh, trail and the bear. I don't know if you've heard this. So the atheist goes out, he's walking on the trail, and he's out there enjoying nature. It's beautiful, trees, birds, animals. Just a beautiful, gorgeous day. And up in front, he sees a seven-foot grizzly bear. He's like, just freezes in his tracks. The bear sees him. He immediately turns around, runs, which you're not supposed to do. Uh, runs, the bear is trailing him, okay? Getting closer, getting closer. He looks back again, he's getting closer. He trips and falls. He looks up, and the bear's right on top of him, reaching with one paw, the other paw, about to strike him, the right paw. And the atheist screams out, God, oh God, save me. And all of a sudden, the bear freezes, and a light shines through the woods, through the trees, and a voice. I can't do God's voice, but... <laughs> You've been denying me all these years, teaching other people to do the same and telling people that this beautiful creation is all just this cosmic accident and you want me to save you? And the hiker, atheist hiker says, yeah, that's, that's fair. If you're not going to save me, can you turn the bear into a Christian? And, and, and God says, very well. And then the light goes out and the bear's you know, with his right paw outstretched, comes back, and he brings his right paw back, brings it up to the left paw, kneels and prays, dear God, thank you for this bountiful meal you're about to give me. 
hey, when you get out in the woods, you, you might confront God and have a conversation with God. And also, there might be a bear out there. Or as we're about to see, something even worse than that, Satan. Uh, but, you know, Steve's been talking about hearing God, and I think this is one of the greatest things that we can do is get out in nature, get away from technology, get away from all the trappings of the modern civilization that we live in, get out there and be with God. And it could be just a trail hike, a simple trail hike. It could be in your car. It could be in your closet. It could be in your backyard. It could be wherever, but somewhere away from the noise and distraction so you can hear God. And I want to talk about that today. And so we're going to be in Matthew chapter four. I'll get there in a second. I'm going to be reading from the uh, New American Standard Bible. You know, and there's this, this event that happens in chapter four of Matthew is really famous. And it's a, it's really a test for Jesus. And I was thinking about all the tests that happened in the old Testament, Adam and Eve in the garden failed that test, right? Uh, Abraham passed or did he fail? I think he passed for the most part. Um, the 13 spies about to go into the promised land. 11 failed, two passed, right? Caleb and Joshua, they passed. How about the Israelites in the desert wandering around for 40 years? Fail, big time, right? Yes, fail. And so what I want to do is look at one of the most famous examples of testing in the Bible, Jesus in the wilderness at the beginning of his public ministry. And as we take a, 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 a deeper look at this rather unique and powerful event, we begin to see the core of Jesus's love for us and many practicals for our own lives. You know, the setting of this is, well, Jesus has gone down. He's now around 30 years old, and he's, beginning, he's about to begin his ministry, and he goes down to meet John the Baptist, the uh, Essene. I believe he's from the Essene sect. Most scholars believe that. But he is there to prepare the way for Jesus, and he's going to baptize Jesus, right? And so there's this amazing scene. He's in the Jordan River. John the Baptist baptizes Jesus. John the Baptist looks up and he sees this dove descending on Jesus, the spirit. And he hears a voice. He hears the voice of God. And it says, this is my beloved son, whom I am well pleased. What an amazing scene, right? What a high point, okay? The very next verse, the very next verse says, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So he goes from this amazing high point, baptized by John the Baptist, God's voice, this is my beloved son, whom I'm well pleased, and then he's led out into the desert to be tempted by Satan. Amazing. What a high and what a love. So what follows is one of the most amazing and really, in my mind, bizarre encounters in the life of Jesus. And as I was reading about this, a lot of scholars believe that Jesus, or at least Matthew, writing to the Jewish readers, is trying to rekindle and get the Jews to remember the 40 years of failed, of the failings of the Israelites in the desert. Jesus goes out in the desert, not for 40 years, 
but for 40 days, he's got things to do. Can't stand out there for 40 years. And, um, but instead of failing, he's going to be victorious. He's going to be victorious. So Israelites failed 40 years. Jesus, 40 days in the desert, is going to win. And we don't know that initially when we first read it. I mean, we know the end of the Bible, obviously, and what happens. But, um, but what needs to happen is this cosmic clash between the good and the evil right there in that wilderness. So uh, in, in lieu of 40 days, 40 years, 40 days, I, I figured, Steve, I'll do 40 minutes from here on. Is that okay? To honor that? No. Okay. <laughs> But I, so I titled it Warfare in the Wilderness. Warfare in the Wilderness. All right. Uh, who are you? And that's kind of like the hyphen. Who are you? Because that's going to, we'll see that means something. I had some other fun little names, puns. Duel in the Desert. Like that? Battle in the Bush. Fight on the Frontier. Brawl in the Bramble. You know, Bramble. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Hostilities in the Holy Land. You like that one? All right. We'll stick with warfare in the wilderness because this, we're going to be talking about spiritual warfare. All right. And so um, I already read verse one, but in verse two, it says the following. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry well probably one of the greatest understatements in the bible right i'm not sure why that was added but what am i to what am i to question what's in the bible yes yep it's captain obvious right there yeah he was definitely hungry so he goes from this amazing scene with john the baptist to going out in the wilderness then not only is he in the wilderness but he's fasting for 40 days then verse three and the tempter came. You see how this thing just gets ratcheted up higher and higher each time? So he goes out to be alone in the desert, to be with God in the desert, or in the wilderness, I should say. But he's not alone. He's not alone. And so it says in verse 3, the tempter came. Di Diabolos. Uh, I'm probably saying that wrong, right, Steve? Okay. <laughs> yep. uh, Hebrew, for adversary the adversary is there the greek accuser slanderer deceiver liar all that stuff and we'll definitely get that here in a second so we know that god does not tempt but he does test it says that the spirit led jesus out into the desert so the spirit of god is not tempting jesus but it is testing jesus so you get there you got this test from god that's about to happen and as with Jesus, so with us. I believe all godly testing is meant to move us closer to God. I've talked about that. It's not a negative thing. A test is not a negative thing. It's a positive thing. It's meant to move us forward. It's meant to make us closer to God. It's meant to reveal, refine, refocus, and strengthen our resolve to be our best version, to be the best we can be for God. So the testing is good. And it, the testing and the tempting seem to go together. Right next to good is evil. It happens often. You see it in the Bible. Right next to the tree of life is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's right there. All right? And 
So to deny this spiritual warfare that's going on, to me, my opinion is just foolishness. It's real. It's there. It happened in the life of Jesus, and it's going to happen in those people that are trying to follow Jesus. No doubt about it. So we see this, this character, the Satan or Satan, emerge. I think it's interesting to note that there are paintings of this event and other paintings of, of Satan and Jesus. And early on, the pictures of and the art of Satan were always, you know, he's like a monster. He has the horns, he has the scales. He's like a grotesque monster. But then as art progresses closer and closer to modern day, Satan becomes more of a human-like character. And even some art will depict him like maybe like a, like a monk in a hood, very human-like, losing all of its monster characteristics. And that can happen for us. And we can not see him or not acknowledge that he's there and things are happening. So let's go ahead and read Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 3. Get there. And so, and the tempter came and he said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. But he answered and he says, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him along into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will give his angels orders concerning you, and on their hands they will lift you up so that you do not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, on the other hand, or again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord God your te to the test. Again, the devil took him along to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you. If you fall down and worship me, then Jesus said to him, go away, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and behold, the angels came and began to serve him. So I don't have a PowerPoint or a slideshow, but I do have a prop. I have many of these on my, uh, my house in my yard. Love the stones. I have a lot of them built little stone walls and stuff, but I just was thinking about that. These, these things were probably laying around the ground everywhere when Jesus was having that encounter. And Steve, I know you've been out to Israel how many times now? Several? <laughs> Do you, have you gone out into the area where they think he might have gone, where Jesus might have gone in the wilderness? A lot of these, right? Yeah. And just imagine that, this thing, going without food for 40 days and having the power to turn this into a loaf of bread. I mean, it's pretty powerful um, for him to not give in to that. And so the temptation, though, I believe, kind of centers around one big thing, one big thing, and that is to get Jesus to question his identity. If you're the son of God, he says it three times. If you're the son of God, or at least two times. But the same can be said about us today. Isn't that what Satan is trying to do to us every day or in various circumstances? 
I know for me, that is the situation. If God loves you, then why this or why that? If God wants the best for you, if you really had the Holy Spirit, wouldn't you be able to do this? If the church was truly, truly following Jesus, wouldn't this be happening? And wouldn't the people treat you this way? If you really are a follower of Jesus, then, then why is this, the neighbor next door to you seem to be happier than you? Or how, why are his kids seem to be doing better than your kids? Or why do these things seem to be happening when he clearly isn't going to church or trying to follow Jesus or any of that? So this, these lies start to seep in. And the same way that Jesus was tempted with his identity, I believe you and I, we need to recognize that and know that these are lies, not that we don't need to challenge ourselves or have a real conversation about where we are or have that conversation with another person, but the lies, the lies are the things that we need to get away from and not listen to. Notice how Jesus responds. Three verses, he pulls out three scriptures from the book of Deuteronomy, right? Three times, it is written, it is written, it is written. And I think that connects with what Roland said last week, right? Bible study. It is written. And to, to have those scriptures ready right there and to use them and like Jesus used them against the, the ultimate foe, you know, it is written three times. And we've got our memory scripture right here. It is written, God a man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Everybody should know that now, right? Yeah. It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. An obvious practical that we can take. But I also think that bread can be used as a metaphor for all the things in our lives that we need, that we, that we need. We actually, we need bread to live. Obviously, we need food, but there are a lot of things in our life that we need to live. But I believe we can take this idea, this metaphor of the bread, and make sure that, that we're not putting these things, all these things that we need, and prioritizing them in front of God. And putting them in front of God and putting our security in those things and our joy attached to those things. Um, stuff that Ryan was talking about last, last week or two weeks ago with the joy. Those things shouldn't take priority over God. Man and woman shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. I also looked at this and, and read some stuff. The temptations basically cover three human desires. The, the desire of the flesh, right? That's our humanity. Went after Jesus in that way for us. You know, food, drink, sleep, sex, all these different things that our, that our flesh might uh, want and, and, and seek you know these things definitely satan will go after us in these things how about safety and security the second of a, a core human desire and a need god's protection right desire for power another one money position title status reputation i know that i struggled with that so much uh, as a baseball coach it became, in some ways, it became about me. How can I get my record 
not the team's record, but my record. How can I get my name on the website? How can I get promoted and get this award? It became about that position, that title, that status. Or, you know, looking at my neighbor and saying, oh, he's doing such and such, and he has this amount of income, and look at me, and where's my 401k, and all this other stuff. These weird things start coming at me, uh, and Satan trying to tempt me with getting safety and security and feeling God's, you know, not, not looking for God's protection in these areas, but, but looking for other things. The temptations also offer three shortcuts. Food with no agriculture, no toiling of the ground, right? I mean, isn't that the world that we live in today? Pizza Hut, just drop the pan and the pizza arrives. You guys have seen that? Drop the pen on your GPS, and yeah, the pizza will be there wherever you are. Fast food, Grubhub, you know, all the, it's just so easy to get food today. I mean, it's just totally different than it was 2,000 years ago where you had to actually get your hands dirty in the soil and, or you at least go and buy it at the market. But how about the second one? When he said you can took him to the top of the temple, and if you jump off, God's going to save you. So risk, but with no danger. Shortcuts. Risk with no danger. Food, no toil in the, in the soil. And then the third one, I'm going to make you king of the world. All you have to do is fall down and worship me and give me your allegiance. Fame with no rejection. They're all shortcuts. They're all shortcuts. You know, I, I used to be the master of the shortcut before the GPS came out right now i can just click the gps and google gives me the shortcut but prior to that i was always looking for shortcuts and those usually ended up in getting lost and with kelly being upset with it i don't know it's in our dna right guys it's like i gotta do the shortcut now you know gps also assembling things like you know you buy something it's got 300 parts and the direction directions okay that's out the window and uh i'm just gonna figure this out no directions i'm taking the shortcut about repairing things another shortcut duct tape duct tape we just we're not gonna really fix this thing to last we're gonna fix it for today so i can use it today duct tape it it'll be fine and cleaning kelly's pointed this out to me many times Kelly's a master cleaner, deep cleaner. I move things from one place to the other. That's my definition of cleaning. Just, Honey, that's not cleaning. You didn't, you didn't clean up. I, I, well, I moved. It was on the floor. Now it's underneath the bed. <laughs> you don't see it. It's cleaning. Shortcuts, shortcuts. But, but in reality, shortcuts are a terrible thing for you spiritually. Being a shortcut to its growth. Did any of these trees and plants take shortcuts? If you count fertilizer as, I'm, I'm not saying that's a shortcut. Scientists have figured out how to get trees to grow a little bit faster. I have to say that. They have figured that out. But, but I mean, it's like nature. It just needs, takes time, takes time. And it takes time. You and I, it takes time. And things need to happen. And we need to go down this path. And we need to embrace the process and not cheat it not cheat the test and try to take the shortcut. Let God do what God does, right? The whole temptation 
dead center around this taking the shortcut. Satan is, is, is trying to get Jesus to do it the way of the world, right? But Jesus totally restrains himself, complete restraint. He refuses to perform. He refuses to overwhelm with power. He refuses to turn a stone into bread. He refuses uh, to bend the rules, right? All of this power went to restraining guided by love. All of this power went to restraint guided by his love for the father and his love for us. Later on in his public ministry, um, you watch him throughout the gospels. He never forces obedience. I think that was all worked out in the wilderness. He never forces anyone to follow him, but he rather he offers a choice through love and through truth. Throughout the Gospels, there's no mention of Jesus doing this, forcing obedience, conformity, and love. As we know, true love cannot grow in the soil of coercion. It's not true love. If it's forced and coerced, goodness cannot be imposed externally from the top down. It must grow internally from the bottom up. Ultimately, Jesus rebuffs the temptation to become the people's Messiah with the bread, you know, give people what all these things that they need. The Jewish Messiah on top of the temple rebuffs that. And even the world Messiah, the world leader, right? Instead, he takes the path of the suffering Messiah in chapter 53 of Isaiah and carries that out eventually on the cross. For Jesus, there is no crown without the thorns. Some of my, my final observations on here, and I'll give you a couple practicals, many of which I've already kind of mentioned, but after failing with the first and second simple temptations, right? Turn the bread or turn the rock, uh, the stones into bread and, and jump off the temple. Uh, and God's going to save you. Those seem kind of simple compared to the other one. Bow down and uh, worship Satan and but after failing those first two simple temptations, Satan decides just to ask for all-out allegiance, right? And at this point, Jesus seems to have had enough. And the scripture says, and the Bible says right there, go away with an exclamation point. Go away. So after the third one, just go away. Done with you. There's the victory right there. There's the victory. When I read this, do I think about Peter in Matthew 16, 23, many of you know this whole situation. Peter attempts to rebuke Jesus after Jesus tells him what's going to happen on the cross and the suffering and all this. And what does Jesus do? He uh, looks straight at Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. For you are not setting your mind on God's purposes but on men's. And I think sounds like what he did in the desert. Just get behind me. I'm done with you. But even with Peter. And so we have to make sure that we're setting our mind on God's purposes and not trying to do things that are not of God. You know, Hebrews 4.15 is really an amazing scripture. So we do not have Hebrews 14. You don't have to turn there, but we don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things, 
just as we are, yet without sin. And so I think about that scripture with Jesus in the desert and throughout his ministry, all the way to the cross, tempted in every single way that we were, but, but won the, the victory each time. But I believe it was all set up in the wilderness. And so practically speaking, initially, I, obviously, we need to recognize that there is a spiritual warfare going on waging in the unseen spiritual world. I believe it's foolish just to not see that. But yes, I recognize it's, it's difficult sometimes to notice that it's going on, especially when you have scenes like this in the Hudson Valley, beautiful days. But it's there. And the more we're aware of it, and the better we're equipped, the, the better we're going to be victorious over Satan's lies and his schemes. So recognize the spiritual warfare. Know and use God's word. Know and use it. I mean, really get into it. This is just some Bible study here. But as Roland talked about, we need to go and take time to do the deeper Bible study. If that means spending that time alone and listening to the word of God or listening to God speak to us, then by all means, do that. Know and use God's word. Take extended time to be with God um, on a regular basis, and definitely before big decisions and big events when they come. That's a, a timeline I'm going to set aside based on your schedule and your job and your family demands, but be creative. Find a way where I can go and be alone and listen to the voice of God and listen to the word of God and deal with who I really am and ask that question, you know, and, and get connected to God. You know, life and shortcuts, I said it, our way sometimes and our timing, our way, our timing limit our growth. Our way, our timing limit our internal growth and eventually a limit our external impact. So don't take the shortcut. Take the way that God has laid out for you. Find out where he's taking you and stay on that path and don't be tempted by that shortcut like Jesus and, and have that victory just the same way that Jesus did. You know, life happens, change happens, and many things we do not control. But what we do control is to live a life as the father said to Jesus at the beginning, before he went into the wilderness, live our life as a beloved son and a beloved daughter of God, or of, of God who is well pleased with us. Amen. Amen.